Welcome through the Marysville 3CU Church. I want to start with a little bit of a story. It's not, uh, it's not a story as much of a, an illustration. Let's call it an illustration. I want you to envision, now some of you are familiar with musical instruments and some are not. And uh, I want you to hearken back to your band days. And uh, I'll try to fill in the gaps if you've never been in band or anything like that so that you will understand it. And some of you, if you're a younger listener, might still be in a band. Let's pretend that you have two young trumpet players and they're both playing a C. And there's this weird sound. And as you listen to the sound, you can hear this little wobble, this little vibration. Now, for some of you that are trained or have been in bands, you know that means somebody's out of tune because the sound of the two trumpets playing, if one, tr if one trumpet plays, you can kind of hear it, and if the other one trumpet plays, you can hear that. But when they both play, they're just not quite right. And so there's this, vi this you hear this wah, 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 almost. They're out of tune. Now the one, young uh, the young one trumpet player says to the other, you're out of tune. And the other one says, no, you're out of tune. And so then along comes a trumpet player that's maybe been a trumpet player for a while, or maybe it's the director, and they can give direction on which one's out of tune, and it could be that they're both out of tune. Some people have what's called perfect pitch, and how do we know that they have perfect pitch? That's because through some instruments, some tuning forks, through something, they've been trained. They've trained their ear They identify they can tell what's in tune and what's not. And some of them can tell what is the thing that's in or out of tune. And then they have instruments for that. But what is the instrument for when you're in and out of tune? In today's lesson, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, as you're turning there, we find that a church, the church in Corinth, wasn't being that tuning fork, as it were. They weren't the ones that were identifying what was right and what was wrong. They weren't calling it out. And so, they were kind of without some guidance. In today's world, people look to the church, and the church more and more seems to be saying everything's okay. And when they say everything is okay, what guidance is that to the church? But even within the church... What guidance is there to those young Christians on their behaviors and how should they should doing th some uh, behaving themselves and conducting themselves and what's right, what's wrong, and how should the church respond? So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together 
along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or adulterers, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an adultery or, or an, a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's have a brief prayer. Father God, I pray that you give us clarity today as we look to your word for this understanding of conduct within the body of believers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an interesting passage. Paul's writing them to say, Hey, I hear that you have someone practicing sexual immorality in your church and you seem to be puffed up. You're arrogant about it. I don't know if it's saying that they are so arrogant in not looking at their church discipline and on other things that they have no issues that they're not aware of, but it's almost as though if you apply it to today's society, they are celebrating and proud of the fact that they're including people that are involved in sexual immorality. And so Paul gives them some instruction, and Paul gives them some clarity. And he's saying that this is wrong. We find in, as we read this passage, he talks about inside and outside the church. He talks about the world, and when he says the world, he means those non-believers outside the church. And we have to think about, when we're talking about the church here, we're talking about the body of believers. We're not necessarily talking about the church building. In some churches, like ours, we might have many people that are part of the congregation and members of the congregation, but they're not members of the church. Members of the church basically have to go through an understanding that they, uh, and um, clarity that they have accepted Christ and they understand the doctrine and, and just some different aspects of that. And so they are part of the membership. But what he's talking about here is he's saying that you are allowing these immoral practices to take place inside of the church body without any repercussions to those that are doing them. And he calls out in verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know 
that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So first of all, he's saying, for the person's own salvation, you need to call this out. So that maybe they can get saved, maybe they have that awareness. But if you just let them continue in it as some kind of act of love, of inclusion, you're not really loving them because they are not being called out for their destructive behavior. More so, they're, if you think about it, he talks about a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's referencing to Passover. And if you're familiar with the Passover, it took place when the exodus was taking place or beginning to come out of Egypt and they celebrated the Passover and they were supposed to use unleavened bread. And then when Jesus came and then he died and we celebrate Easter and you know the Lord's Supper was part of the celebration of the Passover. Easter, the word that's been translated as the word uh, Pascha, which represents the Passover, the talk of the unleavened bread is related in that. Unleavened has been seen as uh, is, is a symbol of sin in the Bible. And so a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying is you allow the sin to creep into the church and allow it to stay there. It pollutes the entire lump. You can't say that the, the bread is unleavened if it has a little bit of leaven in it. It now is a lump that has leaven. It's no longer an unleavened. And what he's saying is he continues in his illustration there. He tells them to purge out the, verse 7, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us to take care of the leaven, the sin. So we need to get rid of the old leaven. It helps that person, but also it can corrupt the body. So if someone from outside is looking, the church has condoned it. If someone inside the church is trying to grow, they look for a path and they might follow in those same paths and say that it is okay. If you think about a, uh, a family and you think about children, if you have children of different ages, if you let something, activity of one of the older children continue and it's wrong, if the, ten, if the five-year-old sees the ten-year-old doing something and getting away with, the five-year-old's going to think it's okay for them to do it as well. And so if we allow things to go on, it starts to leaven the whole lump. That sin comes in, that behavior is allowed, and then before you know it, somebody else is doing the same thing, and you can't correct them because you allowed the other to go. You can correct them, but it becomes harder. And you have worries of people doing favoritism. Well, we didn't correct them because they're so-and-so. They're related to somebody, or whatever reason. And so this is what he is trying to instruct them. And we'll find as we look at this passage that he's not saying, he's saying God judges the world. God judges them. They need Christ, but you, church, should judge those within the circle. And as you think about it, who was Jesus very rough on when he would meet with them? It was the religious leaders, those that were saying they were religious and standing themselves up to be followed, but yet weren't disciplined in following Christ. It was a 
a religion in word only that wasn't necessarily based on a true following of God. He would call them vipers and snakes and hypocrites. But that's who he was, as you, if you recall, was the most hard and harsh on to, to wake them up and to set that as not the pattern. Let us continue in our uh, passage of Scripture here to verse 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet yeah, I certainly did not mean with the sexual immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or adulterers that then you would need to go out of the world. They misunderstood him. When he said, they said, he said, don't spend time with these people. Don't fellowship with them. He says, no, that's not what I meant. He meant, he clarifies, but I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, meaning someone claiming to be a Christian, but their conduct does not demonstrate them as a Christian. You ever walked up to someone or you've seen someone and you're, you see how their behavior, their demeanor, and you wonder, boy, they sure do seem like a Christian. You ever walked up to anyone else? And you look at them and their behaviors just, you know, they need Christ. Just by their conduct. Because, as James tells us, if Christ is in our life, it's going to affect how we behave. These are people that were wearing the moniker, the label of, I'm a Christian. And claiming to be Christians and calling themselves a brother. But when you looked at their life. They weren't following through on it. And Paul's saying as the ch to the church in Corinth, you need to take care of this. It's a, it's a problem on multiple fronts, not only for the person that is doing it needs to be awakened to their sin and turn back to God and repent, but also to those in the church that are watch watching and learning. But it also brings leaven, sinfulness, into the body, and it causes a problem. So this is this call for church discipline and structure, which in today's world, it seems like people take the stint that all is good and you can do anything you want and be called part of the church. It's not healthy for the person that has the issue because they're not called out for it. And yet, as we see in the churches, we see a leavening, a sin enters, and we see a repeating and a repeating and a repeating of certain sins and activities. You think about how prevalent homosexuality is becoming in some of the different churches, and it's causing a rift, rightfully so. But it's not the only thing that has taken place. And we see more and more prevalence of divorce in the church. It's not that someone that has been divorced can't be in the church and can't be a Christian, but two Christians... It would seem as it becomes more prevalent, it's more and more okay. And we're, there's other behaviors that are becoming more and more okay. And then it starts to wonder, what is the difference between being a Christian and part of this church and being in the world? Can you tell the difference except for the fact that you get together on Sunday? Or maybe it's Saturday? Or it's whenever it is? There's no distinguishing factor except for maybe the thing you put on the window in your car. Or what you tout on Facebook. But your conduct should be speak it. And the churches should maintain a level of discipline. But what are the things that he talks about 
He continues, verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone who named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an adultery or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Lots of big words in there. Some are easy. Some are straightforward. Sexually immoral. That's pretty straightforward, I think. Some people have trouble understanding what is sexual immorality. There's some indication that the word behind this is actually calling, talking a little bit, um, uh, indications of like male prostitution. The, but there's a lot of different sexual immoral things, I believe, can be constructed in, in this whole passage here that he's talking about. But also idolatry, worshiping idols. The one of them that kind of jumped out on me in today's culture is a reviler. A reviler. Um, what is a reviler? A, someone that is verbally abusive. We have, we have that a lot in today's culture. Verbally abusive. Uh, slanderous. It would almost seem it gets to the point where people are running down each other and trying to destroy their character in the public sphere. I think we see a lot of that. A reviler. But it shouldn't be among Christians. They shouldn't be doing those things. To be verbally abusive, to assault, to denigrate people. We see it a lot in politics. In today's culture, it's, it's that you go back and if you've ever done, made a mistake ever in your life, somebody might go after you for it. How difficult to live a perfect life. When we're all born in sin. But it seems that the standard has been raised there. But we should be careful not to be caught in the concept of verbally assaulting people to denigrate them. It's a thing that we're being trained how to do. The next one is drunks. A drunkard. A drunkard. I have great problems with churches embracing the level of embracing around alcohol at part of, as part of their social events and the social activities. To be a drunk, to be a drunkard. How shameful it would be to have a church party and have someone be the one that tends to get drunk at them all the time. And extortioners. Those are where people get money either through force or through threat, threat to get things out of someone else. I don't know if that excludes bribery. I think it might be, but there's a lot of that that goes on too. I can't have a discussion on you on the merits of the argument, and so I'm going to, I'm going to degrade you. Or I can't beat you on the argument, so I have power over this money over here. I'm going to take this money away from you. Or if you don't agree with me, basically I'm going to punch you in the nose, or maybe I'm going to take your job, or maybe you're going to... You see where this seems to go, and I know that we struggle with this concept. You know, at one point people talked about us not being a Christian nation. I think we were founded on Christian principles, but if we look at this list of sexual immorality, idolatry, revilers, you know, verbal abuse, drunkards, 
and extortioners where you basically you threaten people to get more money or you threaten people to do things. I think you, you, you start to see where we're eroding morally and we're eroding and moving away from that Christian nation status if we haven't already moved away from it because we, we embellish everything. And the church in, in pulls and draws themselves into everything. There's no boundaries, it would seem. We've seen conjoled to the point that we have to include everything to keep our numbers up. We keep, people aren't going to be happy. We have to remind ourselves we're not a restaurant trying to get people through the door at whatever cost. We want people to come through the door, but we still need to tell them the truth. And we need to tell the people that are in our pews and our seats the truth. We need to tell our members the truth of what is right and what is wrong because otherwise we leaven the whole thing. But we need to guard ourselves that we don't become like the world and pick up these activities where we manipulate people and we, we degrade them and, and we bully them and we shove them around to get our way. And we allow activity that is immoral to continue just so we can have the numbers, just so we can have the inclusion, just so that the world judges us as moral instead of God judging us. Because if we go back to the story that we started with and we have the two trumpet players, those two young instrumentalists don't know which one's in tune and they could decide amongst themselves and figure out how to adjust their trumpet so that they match each other. And they get rid of this that says that they don't match. But they could still be out of tune. Because they determined the determination of whether they're in tune is based on one another. When the judge comes, when the instructor comes, when the instrument comes, with the, when the arbiter of truth comes and says, are you in tune or not, they're going to find out that the one that has perfect pitch, in this case it would be God, is going to rule them out of tune. They were in sync with each other and they had lined up. And the world wants to call that morality. But now we find out that the ultimate judge, the ultimate determiner of being in tune, the ultimate determiner of morality is going to judge them out of tune. And so, as a church, as an instrument of God's hands, we need to retain our adherence to Scripture, to God's Word, so that when people look to us, to that measure of whether we, they are in tune or not, they will find that there is something missing. And may we always be in tune with what God would have us to do. And when they look at each other and say, hey, we match up, we're good, may they, there be this voice over here from the church saying, no, that's not right. My great fear is that some in the church and some churches have slid over into morality by consensus instead of morality based on the Word of God, based on His instrumentation, based on His Word. May God help us to stay true to Him. May God help us to give courage to call sin, sin. May God help us not to look like the world 
in the church to avoid the sexual immorality, the idolatry, the verbal abuse and the tearing down of people, the drunkenness and the manipulation of people. Because one of the words that comes out in there is also covetousness, the greedy, the greedy. We do whatever it takes to get whatever we want, and that's at all cost. And that the ends justify the means. May we find ourselves living a holy life in front of the world that should look to us as a light on the hill. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray the Lord that we might be reminded today that we need to do diligence in checking ourselves against your word. That we need to do diligence as a church in checking each other against your word. That, Father, we need to protect the church in that regard, but also that we need to give discipline as it's needed to those that are going outside of the boundaries, the Lord, before they cause themselves harm, before they set a bad example to the rest of the church, but, Father, especially of those of the brethren, those of the family of God, those brothers and sisters that claim Christ. And, Father, if we're willing to do that, that maybe you would instruct us at the right timings to maybe catch things before they go off the rails. So it doesn't have to come to a big climax. But that we might be willing to preach the word when it's in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, with exhortation. That we might be true to your word. And that Father, while being compassionate to the world and their need of you, that we might have expectations of each other in our conduct, in our witness to those outside the world and the witness within, that the arbiter of truth might not be our human insights and our human wisdoms, that we might seek your will and your way and set that example for those that are around and about us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.